official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. The title of this morning's sermon is Contemplation, Crisis, and Conversion. Contemplation, Crisis, and Conversion. And we come to Acts chapter 10, which is a turning point in the book of Acts. But we're also going to find out that Acts chapter 10 is also a turning point in the life of Peter. And also, it's a turning point for the church. And I believe this. I believe that we don't exist as a church, meaning Church at the Well here, 60 Lake Street in the film house, without some of these events that unfold in Acts chapter 10. Um, It's a chapter that really propels these early followers of Jesus to participate in the Great Commission or Jesus' instructions to his early disciples, which was to go and make disciples of all nations. Disciples being the Greek word, Mathetes. It just means students or kind of like an apprentice. So Jesus instructed his disciples. He said, go to all nations, make disciples of all nations. And it's really these events in Acts chapter 10 that we're going to read, which propel these early followers to, be, to fully participate in this great commission. We also see in Acts chapter 1, when this is after the resurrection, which we celebrated last Sunday on Easter or Resurrection Sunday, as I like to call it, but we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. He gave his disciples instructions in Acts chapter 1. The first bit of which was go to Jerusalem and wait, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit, which was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. But Jesus also gave his disciples further instructions. He says, Go and wait, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. You'll be empowered to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, and then he says, and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus is using very expansive, inclusive language when he's speaking of the, what is to be the church's mission or these early followers of Jesus's mission to the earth. So he says, he, he uses words like all nations, all peoples, to the ends of the earth. But it's not until Acts chapter 10 where we begin to see the church actually fully participate in this. And now when we read Acts chapter 10, I want you to note as well, it seems that Peter and the early, uh, the, the leaders of the early church seem to be surprised by the expansiveness of who God wanted to invite into his kingdom. It seemed like they were surprised by it, taken back by it. And I'd, I'd guess that they probably thought that that invitation by Jesus, go and make disciples of all nations, and also you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, that that was already happening and kind of already took place in Acts chapter 2, where we see what? We see them, the early followers of Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in other languages, and the text says that there were Jews from other nations so around Europe and the ancient Near East, and also uh, Gentiles who had converted to Judaism in Jerusalem at the time who hear the gospel. They hear the good news of Jesus, and uh, they, they then themselves become followers of Jesus. So, um, but now we see that after this point and at this point in Acts chapter 10, all sorts of other people 
outside of the tribe, you might say, are invited into the story and become followers of Jesus. They hear the good news, and now they're immersed into God's kingdom. And so at this point in Acts chapter 10, uh, uh, we see that they were kind of surprised by who God wanted to invite into that story. So as we get into the text, and I'm going to invite Flora up to come and read for me this morning. Grateful for you, Flora. Flora is one of our student leaders up at campus with the InterVarsity. And I want to explore three elements of the text this morning that I believe kind of become a catalyst or propel us into uh, what we then see as the unfolding kind of expansion of the kingdom of God. And those elements are contemplation, crisis, and conversion. So it's helpful that my three main points are also the title of my sermon. So you can read the text and Uh, We don't have this for you on the screen this morning, but you can follow along in your Bible or just read. It's a long narrative. Acts 10, 1 through 22. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke with him who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who is one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven and open he saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who is known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Thank you, Flora. So a peculiar text, a peculiar vision. I actually managed to procure uh, an exact depiction of what Peter saw in his vision. So I'd like to share that with all of you this morning. It's just a beautiful piece of art. As you can see, the quality is very high, high resolution. Um, no, 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 just kidding. That is a joke. Um, I have, I have an actual picture of what Peter saw in heaven. 
Peter's vision there. Uh, this is an exact replica of Peter's vision from Acts chapter 10. Uh, this last one is, uh, I think the artist took a little bit of liberty. He might have been using the message translation uh, for this last piece of work. It's a little bit of a modern take on the vision, but... Uh, There you go. There you go. You can thank my friend Google for those. Google image search of all those gems. So there's a lot of strange, interesting stuff in the passage, right? And what comes with that is we end up looking at a passage like this, and we can miss some of the quieter details. And so first I want to talk about this idea of contemplation. Uh, it's a quiet detail in this story that's easily overlooked. And it's simple. It's that the main characters in this story, Peter and Cornelius, they're thrust into kind of these incredible events where they have these incredible visions and they hear from God and God's speaking to them. They're thrust into these events that they then change the trajectory of their lives, as we're going to see in a moment, changes the trajectory of the church and the future of Christianity really through prayer. Through prayer, we find and we read that prior to their encounters, prior to both of them receiving their vision from God, where God speaks to them, um, they, they're going about their normal daily prayers. It was, it was around three when Cornelius would have been, uh, says he was a devout, God-fearing man, and so he had a daily ritual of, of prayer. And Peter, around noontime, he's praying with God. And it seems that there's something very normal about their prayers. In fact, none of the content of what they're praying or how they're engaging prayer is mentioned. And I think that's intentional by the author of Luke. I don't think the content is particularly important. In fact, it seems to be perhaps maybe more of a regular prayer, more of a natural thing going on than we might think, right? It says Peter gets hungry while he's praying. How many of you can relate to that? Some of you can relate to that right now. You're like, I'm at church, I'm trying to hear the word of God, and, but I'm also kind of hungry right now. It says Peter got hungry when he went to pray, and he wanted something to eat. And so it's ordinary, something he's participating in, something. But um, I'd, I'd say this, that the, the, I would classify this type of prayer that we're seeing as contemplative prayer, contemplative prayer, because the content has nothing to do with what happens in the story. It's just the fact that they are praying, that they're taking time to pray. And it's in that space, then, where they encounter God. It's in that space of contemplation. It's in that space of prayer where they're able to engage God. Now, I'm becoming convinced as I get older, which is something that happens, apparently, and it's something that happen, seems to be happening at a quicker rate now that I'm a, a, not only a parent, but a parent of more than one child, um, so you can pray for me. But as I get older, I become convinced that this idea of contemplative prayer and prayer is a vital tool uh, as, you seek, as I seek to know Jesus and as I seek to become more like him. And so since I've used that term quite a few times now, contemplative prayer. I want to give you a simple definition for it, and then we'll continue discussing it. Contemplative prayer is simply prayer without words that focuses on Christ. 
prayer without words that focuses on Christ. You want to strip that down one more level? Contemplative prayer is simply sitting with Jesus. Sitting with Jesus. It's a hard thing to teach because it is so simple. Now, uh, it's rooted in Scripture. Uh, Most models of contemplative prayer uh, actually start with the reading or the reciting of Scripture. And uh, it's it's something we see in, in God's Word. God's Word says meditate on these words. Meditate on God's words. Ponder these words. The disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. I actually think that the disciples probably asked Jesus, teach us to pray, even though they were with him all the time, witnessing him praying, because Jesus prayed silently as he sat with the Father to hear from God. And so they needed, they needed to know, Jesus, how do you pray? So they asked Jesus, how do we pray? Also, um, uh, the reformer, Martin Luther, how many of you heard of him? Is a name we might have heard before. Uh, he had a very simple model for contemplative prayer. He said, take a scripture, a portion of scripture, or a scriptural truth, and ask of it, how, what does this show me about God to be praised? Um, and so he, he, asked, uh, he asked that question, how does this show me something about God to praise? Um, speaking of contemplative prayer, taking a truth or a scripture. Now, as we continue looking at Acts 10, I want to mention that the goal of contemplative prayer isn't to have a mystical experience um, or to gain something from God. The goal is simply to behold the beauty of God, simply to be with God. When prayer is only words to God, right, which is fine, Uh, The Bible says to make our needs, make our requests known to God to do that. But when prayer is only our words to God about what we want from God, we make ourselves the center of prayer. We make ourselves the center of prayer. Uh, But in contemplative silence, we're able to create a space where we let God be God. And it's in that space where then spiritual formation begins to take place in our lives. It's a really simple thought. So in Acts 10, Peter's praying, he gets hungry, right? And then the text says he goes into a trance. The word trance is the Greek word ecstasis. It's where we get the English word ecstasy from, right? So he's praying, he goes into ecstasis. And what this word means is it essentially means to stand outside of one's self to stand outside of oneself. So in other words, Peter, through prayer, places himself in a moment, in a situation where he is able to know God and know God's will, almost as if you were kind of a third-party observer, right? And it's in that space where he's able to look at his own prejudices, his own biases, his own, you might say, ego, and he's able to... uh, be changed. There's substantive change in his life. He'll never be the same. And we're going to get to how he's not the same in just a moment. But, but the point is this. The point is this as we talk about contemplation. When we commit ourselves to a rhythm, to a regular practice in our lives, sometimes we experience God and get to know him more deeply. Also, sometimes we just get hungry 
And both are a part of that process. How many times did Peter or Cornelius engage in prayer where they created space to engage God and they didn't have that kind of ecstasis moment? We don't sit with Jesus to get that special ecstasis moment or, or experience. We do it just to be with Jesus. And sometimes we experience God in a unique way through the word or through his spirit. So a quick word about crisis then. We've talked about contemplation. A quick word about crisis. We often talk about the power of prayer in terms of, that we heard last week when Mark and Gail and Stephen Alana shared uh, stories and testimonies of miraculous healing, God's providence, miracles, right? And that's great. We do that here at Church at the Wall. When those things happen, we want to share that. We want to celebrate that. We want to talk about those things, but we don't often talk about the power of prayer in this way, right? In the power of prayer to cause a spiritual disruption in our lives. But that's exactly what we see here. Peter's praying, and he's confronted with a truth and a reality that's bigger and more expansive than his previously held convictions. Now, it's not a new truth. God's not revealing a new truth to Peter, but it's being revealed to him in a way that doesn't fit his previously held convictions or his previous paradigm of seeing the world. It's not a new truth. This idea that God wanted to invite all nations into his kingdom, that God wanted to invite all people into his love. This is not a new idea. In fact, we see even, it's not a New Testament idea even. We see from the very beginning that this is what God is about. When God established the nation of Israel. Through Abraham, what did he say to Abraham? He said, I'm going to bless you, and from you, Abraham, will come a great nation. But God doesn't stop there, right? He says, you make a great nation, you'll be my covenant people. I'm going to bless you. Why? To be a blessing to all nations. That was God's plan from the very beginning. And Peter's starting to realize that uh, he's having a crisis moment where what God is doing doesn't, suddenly doesn't fit his old paradigm. God is inviting all people into his gen, the generous abundance of his love. So while Peter is praying, he receives this vision. Now we remember what he sees in his vision, right? Because Google Images has now seared what Peter saw on our brains. We'll never forget that. And it's a vision about food and Jewish purity laws. What was clean or unclean, pure or impure, who is in, who is out. Peter was deeply committed to Jesus, but he was also very engaged with the religious rituals of his day and his tribe. And what we found is that his previous paradigm, up until this point, he was able to sink completely with following Jesus. But now he's facing a disruption. He's realizing that some of my previous held convictions, some of the way that I saw the world now is being disrupted. Peter is surprised by this, even though he walked with Jesus, who is constantly challenging the religious rituals and customs of the day. How many of you know what I'm talking about? 
I mean, Jesus said to the religious leaders, who, speaking of actually some of these very same purity laws that, that Peter is being confronted with here in Acts chapter 10, Jesus said to these Pharisees, he said, he said, woe to you. He said, you are like whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but the inside's filled with death and bones. Or my personal favorite, Jesus said, woe to you, religious leaders. He said, you you strain out a gnat in your religious rituals, but you swallow a camel. It's my personal favorite. So, so Peter, who walked with this Jesus, still found him place, himself in a place years down the road of walking with Jesus where he needed to experience a paradigm shift. So this is the crisis, his way of seeing the world rooted in his understanding of who God is, rooted in his understanding of how you follow God, it's completely disrupted. We're told that he sees the vision three times, right? We can probably think of some other scenarios involving Peter and three times, right? Each time he responds the same way. Eat, Peter. Surely not, Lord. No way, Jose, right? No way, Jose. He, he, Peter probably thought he was being tested, He's like, no way, Lord, God must be testing me. Because no way can God's good news be this expansive, be this inviting, be this welcoming. But in fact, God was wanting to change Peter's heart. And with that comes more freedom in Christ, right? Peter is now able to experience more freedom. But first comes a little bit of crisis. First comes a little bit of disruption. Uh, perhaps this can help us think about our own crises, right? Our own crises of faith, the disruptions that we face, the doubts we might have in our own lives. Maybe those doubts aren't meant to push us farther away from God. Maybe God wants to do something in our hearts to change us. Maybe that's a new and fresh way that we can think about crises and disruption in our life, right? Maybe God wants to expand our hearts to be more like Jesus, to share God's love in a fuller capacity with more people, but there's usually a disruption that takes place first. Now, I want to share a, one of these moments for you in my life. Uh, this is in 2009, and I was attending a conference for preachers in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, I was finishing up my undergrad studies in theology, uh, and I was kind of between my junior and my senior year, and something in uh, at this conference kind of propelled me and sent me into kind of a crisis moment in my faith. And it's kind of a monument or a memorial in my life in a sense that I actually acquired a clip of this moment. Something someone said in one of my ses sessions, his name is Peter Rollins. He is an Irish philosopher, theologian, kind of a quirky, charismatic dude. And uh, he said some things that kind of propelled me into a little bit of a crisis in that year. So this is 2009, and I found a clip of it on YouTube, which I'm going to show if Juice can make sure that there is sound for this. That would be awesome. So this is Pete Rollins. This is the, this is the moment that kind of sent me into a crisis. So. Last time I was in Grand Rapids, I was speaking at Calvin College, and after it was a five-hour session, a debate, and, at the, and near the end, somebody said to me, he said, you know, Pete, all of this theology, you know, you don't say much about this resurrection. Do you deny the resurrection? I said, I deny the resurrection. I went, 
okay, this is time to fess up. Yes, I do. Of course I do. Everyone who knows me knows I deny the resurrection. I do deny the resurrection. Every time I do not serve my neighbor, every time I walk away from people who are poor, I deny the resurrection. Every time I participate in an unjust system. And I affirm, and I affirm the resurrection every now and again when I stand up for those who are on their knees. I affirm the resurrection when I cry out for those people who have had their tongues torn out, when I weep for those people who have no more tears to shed. That is what we are trying to do. Substantive change. Thank you. So good stuff, right? But for me, in that moment, to hear the words, I deny the resurrection. At first, whoa, who is this guy? Why is he denying the resurrection? thought this was a conference for preachers, right? And what he's getting at in that moment is that there's a problem in the church. There's a problem in the church between what we believe and how we behave, what we do, how we act, how we treat how we are a witness to all nations. There is something about uh, that. And so for me, that put me into kind of a crisis moment because for me, in that moment, in that space in my life, I'm very engaged with theology. I'm very engaged with the church. And I'm very engaged in what it means to believe in God, to believe in Jesus. And all of a sudden, all of who I am and how I'm behaving and how I'm acting in the world is being challenged because that has implications, right? And so we deny the resurrection when we don't live in resurrection. And we affirm the resurrection as we live in resurrection and invite others into resurrection life. And so I'm going to invite Flora up to read the last of Acts chapter 10, the final portion, and then we're going to conclude. Acts 10, 23 to 46. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth 
with holy with holy spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because god was with him we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the jews and in jerusalem they killed him by hanging him on a cross but god raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen he was not seen by all the people but by witnesses whom god had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So this last thing we're going to talk about, conversion being a, a catalyst for the bombshell that was then the beginning of this ex first expansion, the gospel's expansion into all the nations. In prayer, Peter receives a vision that propels him into a crisis of faith, which is then the spark that lights the conversion moment in Acts chapter 10. We find out here in this text that Flora just read that Acts chapter 10, and the vision that he received where there is just this food, he's told to eat, isn't really about food or ritual after all. What does Peter declare? He declares, God has shown me that I shall not, shall not call anyone impure or unclean. His old paradigm of clean, unclean, in and out, pure, impure, shattered. Uh, Peter had to travel from Joppa. Another note, we might remember another prophet by the name of Jonah who was sent by God to a foreign people who initially resisted God, swallowed by a fish for three days. Peter resisted God three times, sent to a foreign people to share God's love with them. So he's had to travel 30 kilometers from Joppa to Cornelius' home. So Peter was on a physical journey, but he was also on a spiritual journey. So we read this in the text that he was pondering the vision and what it meant. Apparently, he began to work out at some point that the vision was about people. He was catching a glimpse that what God is doing is bigger than what I thought. And I want us to look at just another small half a sentence in this chapter. As Peter entered the house, as Peter entered the house of Cornelius, in that moment, Peter actually began to walk in the freedom that God had planned for him. I want us to think about that moment where Peter had to cross through into Cornelius' house, something that would have made him based on his previous paradigm and understanding of God and the world, unclean, impure, unfit to be a message 
or a messenger for the pure and holy God. In that moment, he probably thought twice about it, right? Am I really, was that really God or was that just hunger pains, right? A difficult, probably, probably hurt Peter to step through that door. But in that moment is when Peter is able to experience the freedom that Jesus had planned for him the whole time. Now, it's easy for us to look at a text like this and see all of the Gentiles' conversion and accepting Jesus and the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit. It's easy for us to look at those facts, celebrate that. But we also observe a conversion, I believe, in the life of Peter. A conversion in the life of Peter. Peter isn't a hero of this story. God's the hero of this story. God's inviting this large group of people into salvation and freedom in Christ, and God was still working and inviting Peter into that life year after year. This is seven to ten years after the resurrection. Denial after denial, stubbornness after stubbornness, God hadn't given up on Peter. And then in chapter 11, which Essentially, Peter recounts to the early leaders of the church what had happened in Acts chapter 10. Through Peter's word, and along with six other people who were with Peter, uh, they convinced the rest of the leaders of the early church to embrace that God is moving and inviting the Gentiles into the Jesus narrative, that the grace and salvation is for them as well. The early leaders of the church then declare this in Acts 11. So then... Even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Peter's contemplation, his crisis of faith, his conversion moment become a catalyzing event for all sorts of other people into the freedom and grace of God. Not just the Gentiles, but also the rest of the early followers of Jesus now had a fuller picture of what God was doing. That's really the goal, right? That we would be able to know Jesus more and to know more of the immense love of God for us and then to invite others into that. That's really the goal, right? That line in Acts chapter 10 when Peter begins his sermon. Also, isn't it fantastic that it says, as Peter is speaking, the Holy Spirit comes, right? It's like, God's like, I can use your words, Peter, but I'm also just going to interrupt you a little bit here. But he starts by saying, So now I realize. So now I realize. And that's what we want to do. We want to invite others into that. But first, we might have to give some time to contemplation. We might even find ourselves in a moment of crisis in order to expand and grow in Christ. And we also might find that our biases, our prejudices, our paradigms, they need to be disrupted. And that'll be difficult. There will probably be moments where there's a line and God is asking us to cross over that line and that's difficult for us to do and it hurts. Uh, But there's also freedom on the other side. There's freedom on the other side. So as we conclude, I want to give you some handy pieces for these three words, contemplation, crisis, conversion. Contemplation is prayer without words, focusing on Christ, sitting with Jesus, So my question to you is, how can you create space and time 
this week to do that. Simple. Simple. If you don't know where to start, pick a gospel. Pick a psalm. Pick something you see about Jesus in a gospel or a truth about God in a psalm and sit in silence and just ask the question, how does this show me something about God to praise? When and how will you create and find space to do that this week? Crisis. What's bothering you? What's that nagging doubt you've been wrestling with? What feels like a crisis or a disruption in your faith? Pay attention to that. Take time to name it. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. Um, And ask God, what is God trying to teach me about who he is and who he loves through this? Because maybe God wants to draw you nearer through that, not further away. Last, conversion. When God is expanding our hearts, um, it can be difficult because when God does that, we are confronted with our own prejudices, our own biases, our own hang-ups, and our own sin. But there's freedom on the other side. What's a practical way you can engage this? Have a difficult conversation with someone this week about something, about a blind area, a blind spot in your life. If you're having a hard time coming up with a diff- having a difficult conversation with someone, I'll, g- I'll give you an idea of one. Have a conversation with someone this week about the state of racial justice and uh, racial injustice and reconciliation this week. I guarantee you that that will be a difficult, hard conversation to have. It's a hard topic to engage, but you need to engage it. The church needs to engage conversations like that to have those difficult conversations, especially the white church, right? We need to be having these conversations openly more often. This week was uh, the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King's uh, assassination, and his daughter, Bernice King, gave a sermon on the anniversary. And during that sermon, she also revealed the final title of Martin Luther King's sermon, and it was this, America may go to hell. Those are tough words to hear. America may go, may go to hell. And Bernice King said this, if you would permit me, I think, as I look at the landscape of our world today, America may still go to hell. So 50 years later, I'm here to declare and decree not only must America be born again, conversion moment, but it's time for America to repent. We have not in 50 years dealt with, as Daddy challenged us to deal with, the last vestiges of racism. She said, we must repent because Daddy challenged us to deal with the second evil, poverty, which we have refused to confront in this nation. She also added, speaking of militarism, that has robbed us of necessary resources to address the social injustices and the social ills and the social discrepancies in our nation, rapidly approaching a spiritual death. We need a conversion moment as a people. That's just an example. That's just one example of how we need to have a conversion moment in our church, in our hearts. To do that, we have to have difficult conversations. 
That's okay. Engage those conversations. Engage people like Bernice King. Engage people like John Perkins, who just wrote a book called One Blood, which you should pick up and read. If you don't know where to start with some of those conversations, it's just published. His final kind of farewell manifesto. Get it. So, contemplation. Crisis. Crisis and conversion, right? Will you pray with me as we invite God into our hearts? God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for this narrative in Acts chapter 10 that we wouldn't be here as a church without Peter having this moment and without your spirit moving in his heart to change him. So we thank you for Acts chapter 10. And God, we don't only want to look at Acts chapter 10, but we want to be changed in the same way that Peter was changed, God. Help us to create space this week where we were able to contemplate your goodness, to sit with you, Jesus, and that you would reveal yourself to us, God. That's all we want, to know you more and to know your beauty, Jesus. And so we take all of our crises, we take all of the disruption that you might be throwing in our lives, and we ask you, God, how are you trying to change us and expand our hearts, God? We ask that we would have those conversion moments as we talk always as a church about reintroducing Jesus, constantly reintroduce Jesus who challenged, confronted, but also set people free, Lord. So we ask that we would walk in a greater freedom this week. We ask that we'd be able to have these difficult conversations with you and with other people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.